Welcome, Welcome to Clam Bake! Welcome to the Clam Bake. It's a fresh take on a question all this time. If a woman is alone in the forest, will she still be undermined? It's a sorority of equality. It's a bonfire of a patriarchy. Come on, your hands, bring your moms, bring your dads. Come to the Clam Bake with me. The opposite of a sausage fest. I'm Angela Gullner. And I am Lindsay Stidham. Mm-hmm. And we want to be better feminists. Dang it. Each week we interview different guests about our experiences, challenges, triumphs, and follies with feminism. Because being a human is tough. And being a feminist, as we've really been getting to lately, is complicated. But our best resource <laughs> is each other. Yeah, so, so let's, let's get talking. Get Welcome to the Clam Bay Clams. Yay! Yay! What's your clam? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, my clam, I. I usually am not one to be affected by PMS. Like, it's really usually not a thing that I feel very strongly. (laughs) I have been on the verge of tears all day for no reason. I mean, just for chemical, hormonal reasons. I was just reading the, (laughs) we'll get to this, but the, like, description of your book, Angela. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) just now I was like, hold it together. You got to record a podcast. But also really exciting. Like another emotional effect. (laughs) Yes. It's so exciting because we're recording this the day after yeah, the Ro- incredible defeat of yeah. Roy Moore in Alabama, which yeah. I didn't expect. But you know what? Black women have our back, so it's about time we get there. God is a black woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hope everybody today did something to support a black woman and or if you know a black woman who wants to run for office, encourage her in any way you can. Give your, your all your money. All of it. Yeah. Totally. How's your clam limbs? <laughs> yeah, I um, I was like on a very strange internet internet date. What a surprise! For, very on brand for me last night, and um, and I was just so happy. And like twenty, I'm not even exaggerating. Twenty five people texted me. I guess my political statements on Facebook have worked this year. Twenty five people texted me to tell me that he won. That's I was in amazing. A, I was in a movie like when it happened, and I almost started to cry. Yeah, walked out of a movie on a date. I'm pretty sure I was on a date with a gay man. He was lovely. I had, he's so sweet. If you're out there, man, let's be friends. But I don't think we should date anyway. Um, and we were very happy. We went and got a drink. And then he left because, like, I don't think we share this. I don't think we're, like, meant to be together. And then I was in a bar, obviously, and everybody was just so happy and it was so fun. Yeah. People were like, yeah, there's hope for humanity. Anyway, my clam's a little hungover in happiness. Great. <laughs> That's how my clam is. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what? We're not all cynical, terrible people and there's a chance for 2018? I mean, like, what a freaking day anyway yeah that's how my clam is great <laughs> and this week we have another angela it's oh awesome. it's a double angela double angela and squared <laughs> it's really exciting um i'm so i'm so excited to have you here we have the fabulous angela sanchez she is a magician in in addition to a lot of other incredible things. Um, she just does magic. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> She's a magician member at the Academy of Magical Arts at the Magic Castle. She graduated uh, from UCLA with the Bachelor's in History. She wrote her senior thesis on the role uh, and representation of women in magic's golden age. She's also taught a seminar at UCLA on minority magicians covering topics of race, class, gender, as they relate to magic. And uh, when she's not magicking, she works a day job in downtown L.A. And she's just about to celebrate the release of her first children's picture book. 
Scruffy and the Egg. I mean, yeah. what can't she do? All the talents. Well, thank you for the great byline. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so stoked. I learned about you through um, my coworker, Catherine Womack, who covered you for LA, LA Weekly. Weekly. Oh, back yeah. when LA Weekly was ours. Back, yeah, back before. Oh, I'm really loud, apparently. Yeah, I don't um, know why. Back before LA Weekly was. Before everything changed. Yeah, 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 and laid off a bunch of really cool people. Right. Um, so this this episode has been a long time coming for me. I've been really excited to have you here. Cool. Well, thank you for having me oh here, Oh, my Ange. God. Thanks for being here, Ange. Us never going to get old. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed you spell your Ange without the E at the end. Yeah, though. and I noticed you spell your, yours with the E. Mm-hmm. I've the been Yeah. <laughs> I've been told that my name without the E looks like Ang. Yeah. It does. And I've decided to <laughs> lean into that. <laughs> um, well, we like to start the podcast with the same question we ask everyone, which is, are you a feminist? Why or why not? So the an- my answer to that is a resounding yes. And the thing is, is that you become a feminist the moment you agree that women deserve the same equal rights as every other decent human being. And I would say, though, that there is a there's a, a public bashing of the word feminist and uh, an insidious attempt to associate with like, oh, that means you're a bra burner, you know, or something extreme. And you hate men. Or it's yeah. like the stereotypes. Or you hate and men and you want to like. Away. It's yeah. crazy. It's, it is, but I mean, the truth is, the second that you say that, yes, I believe that women should be treated like equal human beings and that they should have all the same rights, privileges, treatment as anyone else, that's a, that makes you a feminist. So maybe that killed someone's, uh, someone's day out there who realized that I'm not a bra burner, therefore I'm not a feminist. But I, I hope that you find peace with that identity. Uh, <laughs> I mean, according to Merriam-Webster, it just got named word of the, the word feminist is word of the year. I know. Snaps, to that. Snaps around the world. Around I mean, the world. <laughs> it's exciting times, you guys. It's like mother, it's like uh, women speaking out made a difference this year or something. Whoa! Imagine <laughs> that over half the population matters. I, what? Yeah, there's a good proverb out there, and I, I'm sorry I cannot remember the cultural and national attribution of it, but it goes, uh, "Women hold up half the sky." And I think just having that acknowledgement, you really need to. That's so beautiful. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's something that I yeah. keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, up until today, though, I didn't know where the term clambake came from. And I think that's awesome. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I will be adding that to my lexicon from now on. <laughs> I love it. We do our best to put clams all, you know, into the world in whatever form they would like to take. My brother, I just got to say a shout out to my brother who now really wants to come on this uh, podcast because uh, my cousin was just on. But he, today he just hashtagged me, hashtag girls rule the world. Nothing else. Great. No reference, just just sent me that. I was like, yep. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I thought some interesting fast facts from the LA Weekly article that I cool. learned about you from. Um, 93% of the Academy of Magical Arts magician level members are male. Uh, you, Angela, are uh, one of the women who make up that 7% that are female. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. That's like bananas <laughs> level crazy. And I know there's been like a long history of discrimination against women in magic. 
Right. So yeah. uh, let me think here. Where would you like me to start on this? Well, <laughs> let's start. Let's start with your thesis, which okay. I began began to read early at work today, and it nearly brought me to tears because I, I just had never thought about about the clear sexism that's like built into the entire like traditional like magicians act that you think of. Right. Um, like sawing a woman in half. Yeah, I never thought about that. I straight yeah. up never thought about the literal violence. Yeah, like throwing a knife, a knife at a woman tied up. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's astounding when you stop to think about it for a second. Magic, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, what I do want to say is this: one is that that's actually a fairly recent phenomenon. So the idea of a woman in a vulnerable position as integral to a magic show, and uh, so we can. If you start reading the thesis, um, and it's available for free on my website, so you don't have to buy it anywhere. We'll link it just, yeah, to this podcast. Please. Yeah. Um, so it starts off with the general history of women in magic. The idea of magic as being a um, an art that conveys power. Uh, mm. So first to start off, uh, there's we have a modern day misconception that people back in yield gooden days... Um, didn't understand that there was a differentiation between magic and witchcraft. That's not 100% true. Uh, there were magician street performers um, in the 13th, 14th centuries. Uh, people did know what magic was in that sense. Um, there, there's a long and storied history just on that alone. Now, um, moving up forward, though, uh, to, uh, to the treaty discovery of witchcraft, um, it's, it's actually a, uh, a very long and involves peace uh, that distinguishes, you know, these are entertainers making a living. This is not, you know, black magic. This mm -hmm. is for what it is. So people knew when they were watching a magic show. Uh, that being said, the art of magic itself requires that the magician knows something that the audience doesn't know. And this is how you entertain people. So I always said the difference. So similar to comedy. <laughs> until yeah. They, until they catch up with you. Yeah, the punchline. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> All yeah. that. And, you know, I will say that this is what distinguishes a great magician from a poor magician is that uh, the, the bad magician who doesn't, uh, who tries to turn this into a whole power play is someone who makes you go, right. Whereas the magician who shares that moment of wonder with you and uses the two dialogues in their head in order to convey to you wow you know isn't this cool yeah who shares that with you that's someone who makes you go ah instead of ah. so i feel like so that's, that's like a big a weird brand of mu magician very again very similar to comedy out there that's like the insult magician where he's like i'm a little bit more like well, i'm more clever than you type of thing yeah, is this the know, correct and assumption? those are <laughs> in my community as far as the academy of magical arts is concerned we look down on those folks okay you okay. know uh i would say that anyone who makes his audience feel stupid yeah. is not someone you would consider a truly professional magician. Yeah. That is yeah. not the point of magic. But that being said, again, magic nonetheless requires the performer to know something that the audience doesn't. Yeah. This becomes a withholding of knowledge. Mm -hmm. A woman who withholds knowledge is a bad woman. So oh! if you go back into patriarchal society, any woman who is perceived as being smarter than a man, or if he feels that he's being made to look stupid and doesn't know something... Oh, God. Uh -oh. That, that woman's bad, and if I don't like her magic, she's going to the stake. <laughs> so, say, tie, her up, yeah, tie yeah. her up, throw some knives at her. Uh -huh. See what so, happens. Okay, so we have this understanding that women who perform witchcraft equal no-no, and uh, especially in Western patriarchal society. You now skip forward a few centuries into, uh, let's say, the 19th century now, 
Um, you have the cult of domesticity in full swing. A woman's I love place that is term for it. Yeah, the a woman's cult place of is in the kitchen. Yeah, totally. And the idea of this, you know, fantasy middle class where the man goes out and earns a living, and the woman stays home and is, you know, the moral angel for all the children of the household. Then um, that is firmly rooted in that women do not touch cards. They do not touch the instruments that men gamble with. Hmm. A woman should not be using anything that relates to magic or can be used as, you know, for parlor tricks or something like that. And, of course, a woman who is in entertainment, you know, and performs at a dance hall or music hall, she's a slut. So, you know, you, you don't, that then becomes another barrier for women entering magic. So having this context now, Mm-hmm. Women are actually not in the magic scene. Um, and I'm going to put a put an asterisk next to that. Mm-hmm. Women so are we talking who, 1950s? We're talking 1800s right 1800s. now. 1800s. So 19th century. Okay. Uh, women are not in the magic scene, asterisk, um, unless they are, one, a, uh, a woman who is from a lower class and needs a means to earn a living, so... She may be a stagehand or an assistant. The idea, though, of an assistant in peril is not mainstream yet. Hmm. Um, so she's doing just more tasks to tasks help the performer. To help the it's performer. not like her dressing up sexy. No. Yeah. No. Uh, she can depend upon the venue, mm-hmm. but that's not a thing yet that is normally associated right. with magic the way we do today. Right. Uh, the other asterisk is if the woman is attached to a headlining male performer or a group. Two examples would be Alate Hermann. Her husband, Alexander Hermann, was an internationally re- renowned magician who by today's standards would have been a billionaire, still with the same poor sense of finances. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I can get into a longer story on that later. But Alexander, if you close your eyes and think of what a magician looks like, Usually picture like one of those dapper gents with, you know, the mustache and the goatee mm-hmm. has kind of a little bit of a satanic look to him, mm-hmm. a devilish grin, you know. Um, you're thinking of Alexander Hermann and every man in his family who was into magic looked like that too. <laughs> so his older brother, Compars, had the same look. His younger nephew, who tried to feel his ginormous shoes, uh, Leon, had that look too. Um, his... Uh, his slightly more distant relative, Alex Kretschmann, looked like that. So this was a thing that they all uh, they all used to distinguish themselves as the Hermann dynasty. Okay. It's like his their wife, brand. Their yeah, it was brand. their total brand. Uh, his wife, Adelaide, now um, I'm probably jumping ahead here, but she is one of like, the boss women in magic that I look up to, even though she's like 100 years dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, she... Is she? <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, but uh, she was first his assistant, and he was super encouraging, saying, we should give you more time on the stage. And so he made time in his act that she could perform magic up there, too. Mm-hmm. Again, he was a major headlining magician. No one dared to look down Adelaide. And she also had a dance routine in there. When he passed away very suddenly en route to another show, she picked up the whole magic show and kept running with it. Mm. And everyone recognized her, and her billing title was the Queen of Magic. Wow, that's yeah. so great. Cool. I mean, so yeah, is... because if you're like, uh, dance break, and then magic, and then dance break, it's like, you're a badass bitch. Yeah, and, you know, okay, but she had magic. all the trappings of being like a full-on performer, a magician. <laughs> she traveled for six days, rest on, uh, wait, she worked for six days, traveled on the seventh. This woman did not take a break. Awesome. Um, she is awesome. Talma is another example of a woman who was actually part of a trio 
Um, so her husband and then their friend uh, Bosco all perform together as a magic group. Telma is known as the Queen of Coins. Mm-hmm. And a very famous magician who was her contemporary, T. Nelson Downs, also solidly said, there is no man who can best me in coins. He awesome. left that distinction to Telma. That's so awesome. this is, these are the asterisk women. Cool. Um, now, uh, moving on, though, to... This is also all during the Golden Age of Magic, so I should preface that. Golden, yeah, Age, the Golden Age of Ages. Magic is 1870s-ish to about 1940-ish. Um, and why is that considered Golden Age? You would have uh, a lot of major magician performers. You had dueling magicians. Uh, Alexander Hermann's uh, rival at the time was Harry Keller. So you had really a lot of magicians who competed for their audiences and you said it was like is, a modern day block, like going to see a blockbuster, yeah. right? Like it was like <laughs> these guys the are pulling crowds. Yeah. Um, little mini Baxter on Alexander, he was um, he was bad with his finances in the sense he would buy a house, buy a yacht, you know, uh, like to travel around, like add more animals to his menagerie. Um, Good. <laughs> but uh, and he would take out loans to transfer his own businesses and theater companies. Um, but he always felt like, oh, I'll make it back at the next show. And he did. <laughs> you know? So this guy could draw a crowd. Yeah. And um, so when he died on route to a show, he still had a lot of outstanding debt. And that's why I lied. Had to hurry up and sell the yacht, the extra house, and uh, take the show on the road very quickly. Um, but uh, continuing onward, though, into the early 20th century, uh, that's when you didn't quite have talkies yet in movies. Um, so you still had a lot of magicians who were who were more into the quote-unquote traditional magic scene. Some who then, when you got cinema becoming a thing, went on to try and become actors and had a strong fascination with film. There's a whole separate area of scholarship just mm-hmm. dedicated to magicians and film. Um, but focusing on that, Golden Age then stretches on to about the 1930s-ish into the Depression. I would say it roughly ends around 1940 because then you transition into slightly more contemporary magic by the 1940s and 50s um so up through this time and then also like they had to compete with other means of entertainment oh yeah a bit so yeah it's well like people were going to nickelodeon sure. you know so yeah. it was yeah. very different yeah um now the trope though of having a woman in magic who now has this role of victim I would sexy say, victim. Sexy victim. <laughs> but victim first this. and then the sexy. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, prudish society. Right, so, right. <laughs> so uh, you get into now the early 20th century. Um, you start to have the story of, oh, the woman needs to depend upon a man to save her kind of thing. Uh, you get the whole, you know, woman tied to a train tracks in movies and theaters now. You know, So <laughs> it, it's starting to, you know, really bubble up. You know, not that that idea of, of female vulnerability wasn't already implanted into society, but it was probably having more of an impact in terms of visual media and consumption. Well, what I thought was so interesting in your thesis is how you tied it to the suffragette movement as, a, so, as backlash. Like yeah, a so, okay, backlash. so getting right into that now. Um, so a an English magician, P.T. Selbit, mm-hmm. uh, real name Percy Thomas Tibbles. I would change my name, too. Yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, had a thing against women getting the right to vote over in the UK. So women gained the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And uh, he then uh, creates this illusion um, called uh, sign through a woman. And as like a direct response. Oh, the first people he invited 
to come over and, and be he his was volunteers. Wait, he was in America though. No, no, no. He He's was in, the in UK. England. This is okay. The UK. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the first people he invites up to come over and become his volunteers were women, yeah. suffragette women specifically. Uh, so this was definitely a very uh, a strong political declaration. The idea of women in boxes, uh, to quote a popular documentary title, um, is very much one that has now become indelibly really tied to magic. So uh, this, uh, this illusion then crosses upon uh, one year later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Polish-American magician Horace Golden makes it very popular because guess what happened that year? Women here also gained the right to vote. Oh, yeah. women can vote. Let's put them in boxes and cut them to pieces. Yeah, so... Uh, Initially, when this uh, illusion was first debut, it uh, only had the saw going through. Mm-hmm. The next step up was to pull the pieces apart, <laughs> you know, and that's how we know it today. Right. Um, so this and magicians jumped on this like wildfire. Uh, Selba tried to get a hold of copyrights to it. It became increasingly more difficult. Uh, magicians would just change the name. So uh, everyone had a crazy patent claim rush to it. Um, but nonetheless, it spread like wildfire over here. Uh, Horace Golden in particular, who helped make it popular in the U.S., um, was known for advertising in front of his theaters, need a new woman every night. <laughs> and uh, he would have assistants go out and pour buckets of red fluid out into the street in front of the theater. Like, this totally. was branded as a Fucking gory, shit. gory yeah, illusion. totally. <laughs> it's like, rev- like, like, God, the, the hate. I do have the to hate, say... Like, I do have to say, just like women rever- role reversing lately and getting their power, their power and magic happening now, today. I, I recently saw Scott Neary's Booby Trap. Maybe you've performed it. I don't even know. I haven't seen it. Oh, yet. you've never seen it? So he does like a crazy variety show here. And I saw a very hot woman who did box magic with a very hot man Ooh. that she saw in the box. Yeah. And then put, did like, you know, as we've all seen, mm-hmm. made the box go into pieces. And I like, it was the most sexually utilizing thing I'd seen in a long time. <laughs> I was like, go girl, you reverse the those rolls and you cut him up and they were both so hot and then and then like she doesn't pour blood though she at the end of the show she puts them back in the box and puts them back together yeah depending <laughs> upon you know, you know your mileage may vary we've seen different <laughs> variations of signs in a woman but um the one the magician i will say who probably has like the craziest performance i i mean i understand the history of the effect i'm not sure if he was going necessarily for misogyny um but uh, Ricciardi's uh, sawing through one with a buzz saw, and then leaving her hanging entrails there on the stage, and the stu- the uh, the theater was pumped with uh, what you call it, um, not ether, um, and an aseptic. Oh my god! Yeah, so Whoa. you could you smelled it in the audience, Whoa. and then he left her. He didn't reassemble her. Wow. And that was part of the effect of the illusion. Well, it's so My crazy. question is, where's the magic part to that? Uh, <laughs> the idea that he couldn't kill a real person. So, right. But audience members were allowed to walk up and examine the, the uh. body. It's so crazy, too, because like whether or not at the time you can identify the actual misogyny at play, it's one of the biggest forms of entertainment at the time. So it's veiled under this really spectacular thing that it's it's the the covert well to be very honest in the 1920s i think the statement was clear was probably clear <laughs> yeah yeah cle- and yeah. i will say though that when you when you do observe a magic show even today it's it is like time traveling yeah to be very honest um magicians it's not that we don't use technology but a lot of our effects are very simple mm-hmm. they uh they don't 
involve, you know, iPhones or, you know, advanced sure. technology. We aren't at the point where we're showing you a hologram and it's not really there, you know. Right. It really is the same bread and butter that has sustained many magicians now for centuries. So you are time traveling to a point where, you know, technology is for what it is. And in some spaces, the magician always dresses up in the coat and tails. Mm -hmm. And you sit there and feel like you're going back to the early 20th century when Sawing Through a Woman was performed with that intent and subcontext. Yeah, it's like the, the tricks are as old as time. We say effects. Yeah, the effects. effects. Yeah, thank you. Effects. Tricks are for I kids. Was thinking right. box. Tricks didn't seem Why right. is trick a, a no-no word in magic? Uh, it's a no-no word in the community just because it sounds trivializing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's why my dad would tell me tricks are for kids, rabbit on the cereal box. I mean, whores it. also turn <laughs> tricks. So there's that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but I mean, I think effect is... Uh, shows the impact that we're going for the when it's performed yeah. yeah illusion is usually a big stage thing you know right. so white tigers cars uh things i don't have a budget for sure. <laughs> sure. um and uh i would say that when you get enough effects assembled together you get a routine yeah so yeah. that would be the language that you use to refer to magic like that cool so how do you navigate as as a woman in the field how do you navigate and try to work against this very potent misogyny? And like backing up a little bit, what would you say the culture is like right now, today, doing magic if you're a lady? So, okay, so I'll start with the culture question first. Um, I think, one, I think that the attention to, uh, to women in male-dominated spaces is something that has been made more visible in our society. So these sectors have become increasingly more aware of it. And I think this is a good thing. So now they're more self-conscious and there is at least some thought amongst those who are allies who want to see more women being successful in these fields. Mm -hmm. Magic, I would say, is aware, broadly speaking, is aware of this, um, this underrepresentation of women and the historical portrayal. So at the Academy of Magical Arts, I would say that there is a lot more intentionality of seeing that women are equally represented and that we are conscientious of seeing that there are more women in magic. I will say that there is not any direct discrimination against women and that there, if anyone expresses interest in becoming a magician, uh, the AMA and our many members out there would be wholly encouraging of seeing that person becomes not just a good magician, but definitely a solid and successful performer. Mm -hmm. So uh, that being said, our Women Magicians Association uh, underneath the Academy of Magical Arts has now become officially recognized as a committee uh, with the AMA. So this is a huge milestone for us. Being That was really recent, right? This was recent as of last month. Wow. So we've only been around for three years, so we're wow. a fairly young group, but That's we were amazing. unofficial. And it was because we were magician members uh, that we were that we were able to claim a space at the castle, meet there on a monthly basis, and we always made sure that we had a room there so we could hold our meetings. And uh, but knowing now that we are recognized by an institution that we're all members of, and we love and adore, and we wholly believe in furthering the art of magic and seeing that more women are involved and join right. these ranks, I think this is tremendous progress. Yeah, and it amazing. speaks volumes of how far and now willing that magic as a whole is willing to move forward. Congratulations. Thanks. That is so, so cool. cool. Yeah. But do our individual members 
other WMA and also other women magicians experience um, different types of discrimination or come headlong into instances of sexism, you know, in both magic and as being a female magician in general. Yes, we do. Yeah. Uh, that is something that I think society as a whole also has issues with because you don't see enough women magicians. And uh, I would also say that you have an over-representation over of male magicians who, in mainstream media, uh, have are usually portrayed as the, the example of the poor magician I gave you earlier. Right. Uh, I mean, was it, uh, was it Failure to Launch? Uh, what's the name of that comedy? Um, Joel the Magician. Oh, uh, uh, it's Will Arnett. Are you talking about Will Arnett's character? Yeah. In, oh, uh, Arrested Development. Arrested Development. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, you have the corny cheeseball magician. Yeah, you yeah. know, the lonely reclusive dude <laughs> yeah, who, yeah. you know, doesn't know how to relate to other people. Totally. And so his only way to relate to other people is by doing magic tricks magic. and doing them poorly. Yeah, very you poorly. And Bizarrely, that, though, I've, like, met that guy three times in Los Angeles at least. <laughs> like, that type, that type of guy. Oh, okay, that, that type like, of guy. guy who's I thought like, you know Will Arnett. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, no. If yeah. only. <laughs> you know, and I think, and, you know, this has been kind of hashed out amongst me and a few other friends as well who are also magicians. And, you know, it's like, do obviously this type of person does exist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And... Do we encounter them? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I would say that there's there's a time when kids get into magic. For little boys, it's a little bit earlier. And it's at a point when they're learning how to socialize. Girls socialize a little bit younger and more easily, um, generally speaking. But uh, so little boys learn how to do magic as a way to try and talk to other people. And at that age, they also hate little girls because girls have cuties. Mm -hmm. And that is scientifically proven. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I'm clean of cooties now, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, I got I went for my regular checkup, but <laughs> <laughs> your cootie check, yeah. my cootie check, uh, and there are some male magicians who probably revert to this age at which they didn't like little girls, sure. and that's a space in which they do magic. There are probably some people out there like that. Um, what I will say, though, is the generalization of society to see this trope and make that they're only associated with magic, which is really tragic on one part. But the underrepresentation of women in magic doesn't probably help combat that either. Sure. So they are less like society as a whole is less likely to run into a female magician. Uh, they are less likely to see one, and therefore not really associated, or you know, in some cases, be surprised and say, "I didn't know that women did magic. Or, I've never seen a female magician before." And I think when you can create avenues where women are represented in magic, oh my gosh, that makes such a difference. My Christmas gift last year for one of my WMA members was uh, was an I Can Do Magic Barbie. Oh my god. And the god. only thing I could think of was, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Barbie's careers have expanded into <laughs> magic and this is awesome. That's so <laughs> And there's going to be some little girl out there who gets an I Can Do Magic Barbie and thinks, I want to do magic. Yeah. You know, it's the lack of role models. I had actually seen and learned about L.A. Herman um, through Walter Gibson's uh, Master, Master Magician's book when I was in middle school. So to me, there have always been women in magic. Right. Were there a lot more stories about male magicians? Yeah. But that didn't that didn't phase me at that time. It wasn't until I got a bit older, went to high school, created a magic club there, got to UCLA, did a magic club there, that I started to seem like, oh, bunch of dudes. Yeah. Sausage fed, the opposite of clam bakes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, and 
again, moving into kind of the, the social space of magic, um, the perception that it's a reclusive activity. Um, and while it does require hours of practice and the idea of magic being that it stops being practiced when you perform it, that, um, that does, I would say, turn some people off or see it as a, as a geek or nerd hobby in the most negative sense of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say also from personal experience, um, there have been times where I'm at the castle and uh, someone else will approach, uh, I'll be there with my boyfriend, mm-hmm. and someone else will approach my boyfriend who, you know, has combed hair to one side, the glasses, you know, mm-hmm. the nerd face. <laughs> <laughs> the nerd face. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, and uh, they'll approach him first before talking to me, even though I'm wearing my membership pin. Mm-hmm. And is your, sorry, is your boyfriend also a magician or, de- or not? So they'll approach my boyfriend. Thinking. And they'll yeah. say, hey, so, uh, so what do you do? And he'll sit there and go, like, mm, I'm into marketing, you know? And, <laughs> <laughs> you know? and they're like, no, 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 like, what do you do, you know? And then they start talking in technical terms of magic. And then he has to grab me by the shoulders, put me in front of him and say, like, oh, uh, no, no, I'm not the member. She does it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then to which the embarrassed person will go, oh, well, that's a switch. Oh, ha, ha. That's like, that's like a magic trick in itself. You do the magic. <laughs> you, ah. you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know. Yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, I've also ex- experienced where um, I'll, I'll express I'm interested in learning more about stage illusions. I do close-up, by the way, which is table magic mm-hmm. um, or strolling magic. Uh, which is where you walk around a group of people and everything you do is in your hands mm-hmm. um, or very close up. Um, but I expressed once that I was interested in learning more about stage illusions and effects like that. And to which uh, the magician I was talking to, you know, kind of looked me up and down. I'm a small woman, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like five, three-ish or so. Join the club, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and, but he looked at me and said, oh, you'll fit. And I realized he was referring to the woman in the box thing. Oh, my God. And I just thought, like, ah, <laughs> you know, I'm a woman in the box. That's where I'm going to start. Yeah. And you wouldn't have said that to a male magician. No. 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 So it's, it is a something that is in our community, uh, whether it is inherently thought of or not, whether it's an implicit bias or not, mm. as well as, um, I would say, society in general just makes the automatic connection of men and magic. Mm-hmm. So that being said, though, um, I am still very proud of the overs- overtures I've been done to try and change that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was your gateway into magic? Uh, actually, my dad. Yeah. So um, his hobby was magic as a kid, and uh, I still like have his old uh, children's magic book. <laughs> and it's really cute. It's super old school. Um and uh, he uh, he helped me kind of really like just explore magic a little bit when I was like eight or so. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, you want to do this? And, you know, he built me like a little cereal box with, uh, you know, that I could pull like silks and scarves out of and oh, stuff like that. This is the cutest thing <laughs> yeah. I've ever heard in my and life. And then um, he showed me a card trick one time. And I was all like, oh, I want to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know? So he says, okay. So he shows me the card trick one more time. And then he hands me the deck and says, you go now. Huh. I go, what? Mm-hmm. It was like, there's no lecture to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so then, uh, I, I sit there and I, you know, I spent like a whole 20 minutes, which is a long time as an eight year old, you know, trying to figure oh, yeah. out how to do it. So I came up with my own version. He says, good, keep going. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, then he handed me like his books by Gene Huger, which is one of the densest material. It's really great magic mm-hmm. literature, um, but it's one of the densest materials you can possibly ever try to work your way through. 
Uh, so I, I kind of fell off the technical side of magic for a bit. But in middle school, I got into the, uh, the history side of it. And that's where I read all stories about Alan and Alexander and all these other cool people, you know, who were like gone 100 years before I ever got on the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. But it was still something that enticed me in terms of, ooh, this is magic, you know, and these are all the stories that go with it. Yeah. Uh, so that, I would say, kind of got me into magic through the back door. Most magicians who start as start out as performers and then become collectors and historians later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be a historian. I don't have the budget to become a collector yet. Mm. <laughs> um, but that was, that was my entree into it. Cool. Uh, and then in high school, I did more performance stuff at uh, UCLA, started um, hanging out with a magic group there. We became an official student group. And then uh, WMA in 2014, um, my co-founder, Lee Tu Hong, um, actually had the idea during my first lecture on my senior thesis at the Magic Castle. And so this is in 2014. And she said, we should circulate a sign-up sheet. So, you know, there's a lot of women here. I've never seen this many women. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which she members here before one room. So cool. We got to form a club. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. So we circulated a list. Uh, and then three months later, in April 2014, we had our first meeting. So cool. And it's been us ever since. So Amazing. there's about 80 members on our Facebook page. We also have um, another Facebook page called Friends of the Women's Magicians Association, which uh, anyone can follow. So our, uh, our WMA page uh, for magicians is a closed group, and we always make sure that uh, someone is either a recognized uh, magician member with the AMA or that uh, they're able to demonstrate that they are a professional magician. So, um, but the, the friends of the WMA page, it's just, um, it's anyone who wants to either support women in magic or hear more discussions about it. So that's, um, I would say that if you want to check out more stuff on that, uh, be my guest. Cool. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time you did a trick for an audience where you were an like... An effect. An effect. Yeah, an effect. Sorry, Sorry, I did say card trick, but it yeah, was in the context yeah, of my yeah. dad showing me something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poof. When you did an effect for an... But is there but is there a difference between a trick and an effect? There is, though, right? Isn't effect like more... I mean, a trick is like what your uncle shows you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, here you go. Got it. Woo. An effect is a, like a performance. Or yeah, a, I would uh, say. Effect has a little little bit more weight to it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So even like the masters of, of cards, they, they will not use the word trick? I would say so, yeah. Okay. It's a little bit more dignity and understanding that, you know, they're performing for you using all their talents and stuff that they've cultivated over their, yeah. their yeah. years of professional yeah, practice yeah. work. Do, do you remember the first time you did an effect where it, like, really s- stuck with the audience and you were like, this is my calling? Hmm. Gee whiz. I mean, I remember when I was in high school and I did stuff for my friends and they said, that's good. <laughs> yeah, they like, oh, they said, like, Good. Yeah, uh, good. As a high schooler, yeah. you get excited about something. Yeah. But I would say also more recently for me, so uh, a few uh, WMA members and I, we perform over at my local uh, bookstore called Bookshow LA. It's over in Highland Park on Figueroa. And um, it's a it's a fairly small space. You would do we do what's called parlor magic there, which is let's say classroom size magic. So you have to stand up. Mm-hmm. Still not enough space for, you know, cars and elephants and tigers and stuff. But you can do things that, you know, like Funny you have a hat. Everyone knows that one. Mm-hmm. That That's a parlor level uh, illusion. Um, so like so one step larger one than One step larger table than table magic. magic. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. There you go. Th- those are the three levels of yeah. magic. Yeah. Close up, parlor, stage. Got it. And uh, anyway, so I'm the MC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kayla Drescher is one of our performers. She uh, was also 
interviewed in Catherine's piece. Yes, right? she was. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. She's a she's a professional magician. That's awesome. So this is her bread and butter, her whole livelihood. Wow. Yeah. And she is awesome. Uh, our other uh, co-magicians are uh, Mystiki. They're a duo made up of Elizabeth Messick and uh, Simone Turkington. So I introduce them and I do stuff in between each of their acts. Cool. My opening effect is, uh, and I'll describe it, it's um, it's essentially I show the audience how to do, uh, how to turn so- a silk into an egg. And uh, and they're let in on how it works. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I take the egg, then I crack it, and it's a real egg. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> there's this That's one awesome. woman sitting in the audience right in front of me, and I hear her go, <gasps> I'm like, gotcha. I live for that. Yeah. I live to hear the whoa the uh, the the moment of real magic because that's sharing that moment yeah it's like i mean when you talked earlier about it being like a a a, a going back in time like that that is kind of like even just like going back to childhood like it's pure wonder yeah i think honestly it's those reactions and moments that keep magic fresh for us as magicians you know because we're going to perform the same thing Mm -hmm. you know over and over as it becomes a routine we'll mix up the routines a bit but obviously we need to know how to do them well and competently you know in order to give you the best experience as the audience what the payoff is i would say is that even though we've seen this done a million times you haven't seen it done a million times and that I think is for a good magician is something they are always conscious of, knowing that they are giving someone an experience they have never seen before, and treating it as though it is special. That is the core of magic itself: being able to share this moment of wonder. And for us, we're getting to relive that every time we see it on your face. Mm-hmm. That's so, really cool. That's awesome. Would you say that Los Angeles and Las Vegas are still like the hotbeds? Like, if you want to do magic, you gotta come to LA or Vegas. Generally, I'd say so. I don't have enough of my fingers on the pulse of magic nationally mm-hmm. in order to make that distinction. Because everywhere you go, it has its own hub. Mm-hmm. You know, so New York has its own magician scene, which is different from St. Louis, which is different from Chicago. Midwest magicians are a thing on their own. <laughs> you know? uh, Las Vegas is big show magic. Uh, Jen Kramer is over there right now. Uh, another great uh, young woman in magic you may want to look up. Uh, and uh, L.A. actually is interestingly did not enter the magic scene really until the castle was created. Hmm. So, uh, so okay, so here's the, the little mini backstory on that one. So uh, Bill Larson Jr. and his brother Milt always had this idea of having a club just for magicians. And uh, both their mother and father were actually magicians. So Jerry Larson, their mom, um, was one of the first magicians to actually perform on TV. She was part of KTLA 5's, um, the, uh, what you call it? She was known as a magic lady, but the show itself was uh, Magic Man from Alakazam. Huh. And uh, so she performed effects on there. Her portrait still hangs over in our lobby. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. So uh, Jerry Larson is uh, is an amazing. She's also local. She went to Occidental College. Oh, cool. uh, so she had a huge influence, you know, along with her husband, uh, Bill Larson Sr., on their kids. And uh, so Bill Jr. and Milk go on. They, uh, they established the Magic Castle in uh, our birthday is January 2nd, 1963. Wow. Yeah, we're 54 years young, coming up on 55. (laughs) And (laughs) um, they were told it was going to fail. Yeah. Uh, A lot of magicians were throwing their heads back and laughing and saying, guys, magic scene's in New York. 
hmm. what are you doing? <laughs> and, uh, you know, no one lives in L.A. No one's going to go out there. You got, a, you know, an old mansion that got, re- that got turned into this uh, this club. They barely got their alcohol license approved in time. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> you know, so, and you want to do what? You want to make it members only? And to this day, the castle is only members yeah, only. You have yeah. to become a member, you know, whether it's a magician or an associate. And the only way you get in is if you're a member or if you've been invited by one. Right. And so uh, this in and of itself was seen as a crazy financial decision. <laughs> but what happened, though, is that one magician in particular, Di Vernon, uh, who to this day holds the title of the professor, um, passed away, I believe, in 94, 95, early 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, he decided to retire to L.A. He was from Canada. So... Smart choice. You want a little nice warm weather. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he did for card magic what Shakespeare did for poetry. So <laughs> having Di Vernon come over and say, like, I like L.A. There's a new club here. I'm going to hang out at this club every day. And he did. He became mm. the resident magician there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to which the naysayers back on the East Coast are still saying, eh, it's a place for dying elephants. <laughs> you know? Wow. But guess what? You had a lot of, you had a lot of young magicians yeah. who said, I'm going to go and learn from the professor. I want to sit in his presence. Yeah. You know? And so you had a lot of young magicians who are signing up now for the castle. And the castle is also offering, uh, at that time, lifetime memberships, like $1,000 and stuff like that, you know? So the membership grew rapidly at that point. And when Di Vernon was there, you also had Charlie Miller around and then Billy McComb. And all these magicians were hanging at the castle. This then solidified the Magic Castle was the mecca of magic. Yeah, for those of you listening who don't live in Los Angeles, I mean, the Magic Castle is the thing everybody knows about. And if you can get an invite, it's like so exciting. I mean, it's like a it's like a big deal. It is. I've been twice. Really? That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. I've only been in the bar. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Did you not make know. it out to the rest of the, no. <laughs> the mansion? I don't think I was invited to the rest of the part, but so, somehow I ended up in the bar one night. I don't even remember how. But one of those LA nights. Okay. <laughs> That's huh. pretty incredible if you were able to do that. Yeah. Because once you're in, you're Yeah, you're, you're kind in. of like in. You're yeah. allowed to walk around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got I to gotta get back there. Mm-hmm. I mean... It's it's also a beautiful building. It's just spectacularly it's pretty beautiful. and beautiful. There's like strange. This lovely both. balance of like mystery and kitsch, you know, like it's gaudy. Yeah, I, I but in that, a really but it's fun beautiful way. gaudy. Like that was my dad would always show like it, this right? is magic, like, you know, this is yeah. how you and okay, so Halloween, um, true story, Halloween is a minor religion in my home. And <laughs> every year for Halloween my dad would decorate like crazy. Mm-hmm. And you know, he'd bring out like all of, you know, like this old velvet and other stuff. I do a gather at like Goodwill and all that junk mm-hmm. and drape it around and then build up scenes. He got mannequins. He got a little carried away at mm-hmm, some points. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would also bring out a lot of his old magic stuff and he would set it up and linking rings and top hats with silks coming out of them. And I would say that was, for me, that was a visual reminder of how magic was present in my growing up. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever I looked at my dad's Halloween setup and now being at the castle, I think this is probably a lot of his inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when my dad was my age in his 20s, um, he would go over and check out magic shows um, like It's Magic, which is over at the Ebel Theater first and then went on to be uh, shown at Variety Arts. Um, his friends in magic were a, uh, were a couple duo, uh, Goldfinger and Dove. And so this is back Great in the names. 70s. Yeah. And <laughs> Jack Goldfinger, um, if you look them up, 
would uh, would perform kind of this combination dance magic routine with his wife Dove, and they had such style and such rhythm to their show. It was they were like truly a hot item, mm. and uh, you know so they played Vegas. They were went on tour, all that good stuff. Um, Jack was also Jack Goldfinger was also really into card magic as well, and that was part of his act. So, uh, so my dad went over, you know, found a smoking outside of the theater. They lit up. They started chatting. My dad was, you know, uh, trading stories with him and stuff like that. They start talking about card magic and everything. And uh, so he follows him and watches their show a few more times. And uh, they became friends. Huh. Uh, they, my, that's how my dad went over and started actually visiting the castle a few times, too. It was thanks to Jack and Dove. Um, they lost touch for a few decades. You know, life happens. Mm-hmm. I was born, all that stuff. Um, and then I want to make a, uh, a high school magic club. And I go, dad, you know, any magicians? <laughs> and he goes, you mean like me? No, no, no. Real magicians. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, so he goes over, digs through his stuff and then finds Jack Goldfinger's card. Huh? And he goes, I wonder if this number still works. He tries it and Dove answers. <laughs> and she's like, is this Richard? <laughs> uh, Jack Goldfinger gets on the phone and goes, oh my God, you know, like, yeah. Wow, what are the odds? And uh, they they are such a sweet and generous and giving couple. They came over and they performed for my for my high school magic club um, live and pro bono. Oh, that's and so cool. They are they're very sweet, you know. And now it's been a whole bunch of decades. And my dad's yeah. like, wow, it's so weird to see them now. Yeah. <laughs> would you say that's indicative of the community as a whole? That I would it tends say to be so. Supportive. Yeah. So yeah. again, it's a very tight knit community. Mm-hmm. If there's anyone you want to meet, we're within two degrees of each other yeah and uh, to this day i still call jack and dove my godparents in magic mm-hmm. um jack is our uh, director of entertainment at the academy of magical arts so mm-hmm. everyone you see booked at the magic castle is because of him wow he's the one who gets to decide who's in the showrooms yeah and he's in charge of all the talent wow uh, jack being where he is in his career his network is wide and vast so he is extremely knowledgeable about our community dove as well of course does he like go and scout or people just come to him because it's like people come a... to him yeah <laughs> yeah That's and so if if you want to perform at the castle as a paid performer, you have to send in a video reel of yourself and then your screen and then you're brought in and then you're screened again. <laughs> so yeah. it is very intensive. All of our talent there is is hand selected. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say going back to uh, to your point about is that the way our community is? Yes. Uh, to uh, We had this discussion earlier. Um, talk about the way that auditioning works at the Magic Castle. Uh, you have to call in advance, mm-hmm. sign up for your audition day. Uh, they'll book you depending upon how many people are applying at the time, a month or a couple weeks out. And they have one audition day every month. They usually take about eight to ten people per audition. And then you are placed in front of the committee on your own in a room, and you perform for them for about 15 minutes or so. Uh, you're always told to bring 15 minutes of material, but best advice is always to bring extra, mm-hmm. at least 20 minutes, in case they're having a slow day. Mm-hmm. So you might see 15 minutes go by, and they'll say, hey, keep going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, what uh, it is one of the most nerve-wracking experiences you will ever have in your life because it's like a comedian telling jokes for other comics. Mm. So uh, the committee, though, is looking to see that you, you're not going to show them anything new that they haven't already seen. They're all professional magicians. They're all seniors in their career. Um, they all know what to look for. You're showing them that you are a good performer, that you produce clean magic, and that you know how to communicate and connect with your audience. So the magician makes his audience feel stupid, not going to get in. Yeah. Uh, and that's 
that is the way that this community is built too. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure that you are someone who makes that human connection and magic. If you do not pass your audition session, they will connect you with a mentor. This, and if everyone in your cohort um, pa or screening group passes, you're all admitted. There's not going to like say, oh, we're going to take the best six. Right. If you're all good, you all get in. Uh, magic is very much a community and everyone attempts to reach out and support each other as best as they can. Do you feel like there's a, an effort for male magicians to change the way they use women in their acts? I would say that there is an increased acknowledgement of it. Uh -huh. And the idea that this, to have a woman as victim mm -hmm. is becoming increasingly an archaic uh, trope in magic that fewer and fewer magicians wish to be associated with. Yeah. Uh, the idea of a female assistant, you know, as sexy eye candy on the stage, I would say there's also an effort to acknowledge that assistants have to be as knowledgeable about the effect and illusions as the performing magician himself. Right. And uh, Women in Boxes is a great documentary that I would recommend anyone watch mm -hmm. um, because they interview uh, all women assistants mm -hmm. and their storied own lives and experiences and what it meant to have their roles mm -hmm. on the stage. So uh, I would say that there is an increased um, work to acknowledge the the work and efforts of women in magic who serve in assistant capacity. Mm -hmm. um, I think having increased support of standalone female magicians is something that is still being worked toward, but you definitely have more male magicians who are attempting to acknowledge it as mm -hmm. well. Um, this, uh, this past year at Magic Live in Las Vegas, which I did not get to attend, um, but I did hear that there was, um, there was a speech given about how we need to acknowledge that we have not been doing our best to support women in magic. And I hope that everyone here, um, you know, if you are a male magician, you go and you make an effort to <laughs> support your, you know, your local women magicians. Let them know that they're a welcome in our community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this led to a few more or less awkward conversations afterwards with sure. male magicians approaching other female magicians who are present and trying to fumble through a conversation <laughs> that they felt they had an onus to uphold now. Yeah. But I think that, though, that is really one of the first kind of steps to it yeah. is acknowledging that you occupy a space of privilege in a field that has been predominantly slanted in your favor. So the fact that you have increasing numbers of male magicians who are willing to talk about this and be more supportive of women in magic is, woo, you know, something I am all on board for. Yeah. I think also acknowledging, though, that we do have systemic barriers for women in magic. You know, I can pick up a lot of magic books where, they, where the language is still, you know, like, oh, if you're wearing a coat, you should put your stuff here and there, you know, make sure you have this mm -hmm. there. And, it's like, oh, I'm going to magic. I don't have that kind of stuff. I'm going to wear a dress. I'm going to dress like that. Or, you know, yeah. or my jackets just aren't built with those pockets in them. You know, um, and this is just something as simple as like an interior breast pocket. Right, right. All men's clothing has. Right. Uh, what we do have, though, are also members in our community like Randy Burton, who uh, her own uh, company is called Nothing Can Top It. Uh, Randy Burton. <laughs> and uh, it's, um, she designs outfits for female magicians. Oh, cool. That's cool. And this is, she gave a whole lecture to our group and even brought articles of clothing for us to try on. Says, this is what the kind of fit you want. You don't want flashy colors like this. You want conservative black like that. You know, and told us what works in terms of a show and stage performance. And yeah. I couldn't, cool. yeah, like she knows her stuff. And 
I wish I could replicate Randy and just like, you know, airdrop her across the country. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, she is uh, she is truly a blessing to have as part of our WMA. And I wish that there were more acknowledgement of um, of having things and materials, whether mm-hmm. it's clothing or even, um, you know, something as simple as the items that we work with that can that are more flexible to women's sizes or um, also just uh, what kind of, you would say, I guess, goes with a show. Right. Do you yeah. still feel like, as you were talking a bit about appearance and clothes and like lack of for women, do you still feel that there's pressure to be hot or to go the opposite direction and look conservative so that people take you seriously? Honestly, I think that depends on the performer. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I would say that every individual woman is going to dress and present herself however she wants. The interpretation of the audience is just that. It's theirs. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, if a woman wants to look sexy on the stage, she should feel comfortable doing that for herself and not because she feels that, oh, I need to look sexy in order to, you know, get attention. But unfortunately, my audience won't take me seriously, you know, and they won't think I actually know what I'm doing in terms of magic, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that speaks more to the changes our society needs to make Mm -hmm. more than um, should a a female magician have to make that shot call on her own. Right. Uh, Personally, I feel that I live my thesis in some ways because I still prefer to perform in a collared shirt and slacks, mm. and uh, and I wear a uh, a vest in order to carry some of my other stuff because it has extra pockets in it, um, and it just makes it easier when I do strolling. Mm-hmm. So with my short hair, it probably makes me look slightly more masculine. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say though that you know that is the influence of just growing up with my dad Mm -hmm. as well as you know this is my own personal understanding of when people expect a magician what are they expecting me to look like right do i live some of the stereotype yeah Mm -hmm. um but i also feel that uh for me right now that's that's a persona i'm working with Mm -hmm. as i develop and grow my own uh magic and what i present to audiences i will probably change my look and style Mm -hmm. and if my style is also stay as a tomboy magician maybe it is suzanne's a good example of that too uh if you look her up suzanne is actually over minnesota uh uh, minneapolis i believe st paul there Uh we go Uh and uh so she performs over at a few of the local restaurants there cool and she has won an fu prize from penn and teller's fool us so she has also uh, won Close-Up Magician Award at the Magic Castle. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I would look her up when you go back home for the holidays. Yeah, that sounds super <laughs> yeah. fun. Time for mm-hmm. a family magic show. Yes. Right. <laughs> so uh, anyways, um, overall, though, I mean, women in magic and the way they present themselves is, again, on up to the woman herself. Yeah. 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 And that's the best kind of autonomy you could wish for, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, speaking of women in boxes and like the men getting the credit, even though the woman in the box is literally 50% of the trick, um, uh, you've talked, effect. Oh, you're you've, cutting out. I think I'm back. Okay. I think. Hello? You're back now. Um, it, and also like the inability of like probably most people you ask name five famous female magicians. You've named a bunch today, but just, I want to hear their names again, even if you already named them. What are your top five magicians every woman should know living or everyone <laughs> both okay. both both yeah. okay okay all right um well i'll just i'll start off with uh my homage hero uh adelaide herman 
uh, Queen of Magic, uh, lived from 1850, died in the 1930s. Um, most uh, badass woman you will ever have the pleasure of reading about. Her memoir was published by Margaret Steele. Uh, another uh, woman in magic, she lives over in Peekskill, New York, performs uh, locally and also has lectured at the Magic Castle about Adelaide. Um, let's see here, going down the list now, uh, I would say, well, my uh, my local homegirl, <laughs> uh, Kayla Drescher. Uh, is she the one who does the bar show? Yeah, so she, is a, she does uh, bar magic over at the castle. She is also now part of our magic university at the uh, at the castle and uh, so she is doing uh, lectures and lessons there um, let's see here uh, she her billing title by the way is uh, Kayla Drescher magic and heels so if you look up magic and heels you would find Kayla cool. Catherine was telling me that they do this thing where they a bunch of magicians take over a bar in like the valley for a night and you get magic at the bar and drinks and stuff do you so, know about this? I don't know about that, but I would look up Kayla and she's probably doing that. Because doesn't that sound fun? Yeah, it, it sounds really fun. <laughs> I would do that. <laughs> right? <laughs> but that's basically one of the best slices of the castle you could get right here locally without having to try and get into the castle yeah. itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me think here. So uh, Jen Kramer, who's over in Las Vegas, uh, great, uh, I would say she does, uh, she also does stage magic. Uh, she is a Yale graduate, moved out here, never looked back. <laughs> and uh, let me think here. I'm just, I'm thinking of also all the women at the WMA. Um, and not all of us are big name performers, you know, name and lights kind of thing yet. But I would say that I have to give everyone there a shout out just because yeah. they are all amazing. And everyone is dedicated to their craft and keeping a, a really strong community of magic that is gaining increasingly vis increasing visibility. Uh, shout out to uh, Luna Shimada, Gay Blackstone. Um, I guess I did mention Talma, Queen of Coins. There's an oldies throwback for you. <laughs> uh, Celeste Evans. I know I'm going to leave people out right now, though, because uh, I'm trying to name everyone off the top of my head. I'm glad you going said through people's Jerry Larson. Um, yeah. And, uh, oh, Del O'Dell. Uh, I would be very remiss uh, if I missed her out. Uh, she was a major magician from the 1940s through the 60s. And, um, oh shoot, uh, Anne Goulet, uh, wife of Raymond Goulet, who just passed away earlier this uh, this past October. Uh, Anne Goulet is still living and had an amazing and illustrious career um, as a partner in their, uh, in their duo magic. And of course, um, Dove from Goldfinger and Dove. And last awesome. but not least, Angela, Angela Sanchez. Uh, and also, please read her thesis. So you, <laughs> yes. can, get, you can get to know these ladies please a little bit better. Um, this was so fun, you guys. Oh! Yeah. This was such a great, great episode. Oh, my God. Magic. It was, it was, oh, it was legit magic. <laughs> legit. Legit magic. We learned uh, uh, don't do tricks. Do effects if you're legit, if you're a profesh. Uh, Clams, thanks for listening, as always. Um, you can check us out on Instagram, Twitter. You can write to us. You can uh, let us know what products you want us to review. You can uh, tell us if we're doing a good job. Leave check us out a Angela's review. website. Check out Angela's website and read her thesis. Angela, thank you for being here. Thank you, thank you so, so much. so fun. Thank you for having me. This yeah, is amazing. it was great. Oh, my God. Thank you, guys. Oh. Bye. Welcome to the Clam Bake. It's the opposite of a sausage fest. Just a couple of vaginas talking.
That's a creative podcast network.